welcome to another episode of Twice Told Tales podcast. Uh, joining us today is Farzane. Uh, she's a journalist in Tehran for Press TV, and she is also uh, someone who's never listened to a podcast before. So this should be a very interesting podcast. <laughs> uh, we're going to talk today about like uh, the protests that have been happening and um, other other issues that we can get into. Like you've heard our recent podcasts, they go all over the place and uh, cover a lot of interesting topics. So I hope you enjoy it. And uh, I guess we could first start off by basically just maybe you can introduce yourself and how you got into journalism and uh, what it's like to be a regime journalist. Hi. Okay. A regime journalist. Oh. Well, As they would uh, call you. Probably. Uh, I studied law in the University of Tehran, and I then went into international law for my master's. And I was in my uh, writing my thesis when I got into um, news and media. I started um, working in a uh, private agency. It, uh, like we produce news for foreign news agencies, uh, and I was a news producer. Uh, I worked there for like five years, and it was a really hard job. <clears throat> I, I had to be available all the time. But um, I liked it. It was interesting, and I kind of just got into it, you know? I was knee-deep into journalism and news and stuff, and uh, law went a bit to the side. <laughs> then after five years, I think, I had... Um, uh something in my personal life happened and i had to leave there and i went to press tv i mm, gave an interview and got accepted and stuff like that that's how i got into press tv and there i work in the newsroom which is um an international newsroom we write about politics events uh, everything that's going on around the world, we analyze it, we write news packages, we edit the videos, uh, and everything is on us. So, so you, you do all that? You do a little bit of everything? Yeah, we have to. When we write something, when we write a piece like, um, I don't know, the recent bomb attack in Kabul, for example. When you write about that, you have to... Um, make a video which is aired usually the thing you see on TV uh, and then we have to also um, create a, or find a good picture for the wall behind it you know you have to do all of this ourselves but um, the editor-in-chief has to okay it and then it airs so we've got a lot of responsibility on our shoulders if we wow. make mistakes it's, it's really bad usually so yes that's my job now a lot of stress lots of deadlines and but i honestly i really like it i can't do anything else and how, it's kind how of much addictive. Does, does it, yeah it sounds like a great work environment i like those kind of things where it's just pure chaos and it's yeah, you it's know involves <laughs> present chaos. day yeah, information warfare is also an interesting part of it because a lot of what press TV does is just debunk foreign propaganda. And uh, I I really like, if there's we'll ever try. an Iran situation, I can always count on press TV to give a, a good counter argument to what's happening. And then it's easier to judge like where the truth would lie. I mean, basically you can just discount whatever comes out of Washington, in my opinion. But, uh, but I'm just curious, like a lot of people who I've heard talk, who I know who work with Russia today, the kind of counterpart in Russia, of the which has been yeah. sanctioned all over the place. They always mm -hmm. said to me personally as friends or, you know, people who've worked there who I don't know, but they've also said it publicly that they had like almost zero uh, restrictions. Like there was there were some some obvious restrictions about like criticizing the Russian government's some policies like mm -hmm. very but in terms of 
almost all of them were reporters reporting on American news. And Russia Today was so valuable because they just allowed journalists with genuine criticisms of what's happening in in America to just voice those criticisms where no mainstream media would ever do it. So like the, the information warfare was simply just providing a platform for the truth. Like, would you say that press TV is similar to that or like, do you feel more? Okay. No, no, we're exactly similar and we're absolutely free to criticize, do whatever, write whatever we want. But, um, uh, yeah, we also write about our internal domestic affairs, but uh, mostly my part is international. I write for usually um, the Americas and Europe, like the energy crisis and uh, that's happening, the North Stream pipes, everything. But, yeah, we have no restrictions at all. Well, that's interesting. And, so, could, um, Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, because um, when we write something, usually, like, I have, I write about maybe five different things, six, five, six different things every day, and it's really, um, it's really funny how you have to skip from something that you get really invested in, like, you're reading about for maybe one hour to completely understand everything about it so you can write it properly, and then, like, the next piece is about, um, I don't know, Book of Haram in Africa. <laughs> you have to go to that, and um, we have deadlines because it's broadcast media. And um, but it's also wonderful, but also um, gives you a lot of information on what's going on in the world, and it can sometimes make you feel hopeless and uh, lose all faith in humanity. You know, but it's got to, it's ups and downs. But yeah, we have no restrictions on anything. Yeah, I can have totally relate to reporting? that. Yeah. Have you been reporting? Uh, or I mean, you said that you work for the international news part. But um, have your colleagues been reporting on the protests that are going on in uh, Iran? Or we're going on uh, in Iran? Definitely. Of course we have. Yeah, we have. We try to t- look at it from a neutral ac- aspect. Like, um, take taking all kinds of views, but um, I think that if someone uh, watches STV on these protests, and um, I don't know, BBC, BBC Farsi, of course, not BBC English. BBC English isn't that biased, but BBC <laughs> Farsi. Okay, we can talk about that later. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, because because you don't know about BBC Persian. That's true. That's why that's it true. doesn't look. Yeah. yeah that's a comparison. It's, like, it's not that it's not biased. It's horrific. Yeah. <laughs> horrific. Yeah. It's not even and, professional. Uh, I mean, BBC English is at least a little bit professional, but yeah, BBC exactly. Persian is not even they professional. They try. <laughs> they at least they try, but BBC Persian they don't even try. They're like exactly. They're they don't this. feel like they have to verify anything. Yeah. Or, Profession. This That's is how it's going to be, like it or not. And unfortunately, Iranians yes. watch it and believe it. That's the sad part. <laughs> but my experience, yeah, but, Iranians um, are generally a, like a very intelligent people. Like, I don't. That's it's so hard for me to believe that they can just watch something like that, especially upper classes, because it seems to be really popular with upper classes and expats. Like this foreign propaganda. It's, yeah, really unfortunately. I'm bit, I think it's I it's think... that a lot of people yeah, go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. <laughs> go on. Yeah, I, I think it's um I mean it's not always that they, they actually believe what they're told. It's sometimes that because they wanna um like some of these people just they wanna oppose the current establishment. So uh, they quote BBC Persian um, to just show that they do not agree with certain policies or the establishment. But I don't think, because I have seen people who are even against establishment, uh, and they may quote BBC Persian to say that something happened, uh, but it doesn't seem that they actually believe, um, you know, what they're told. I mean, it's not like everyone is believing it. Um, but yeah, but there are yeah. also people who believe 
like totally believe it. I hmm. totally agree with Setan. It's like it's a stamp of validity over what they're saying. Like their opposition is BBC Four which is in itself hmm. talking from it somewhere. I don't want to. I can I use curse words? Sure. <laughs> yeah. Like, You're they're totally talking from their ass. There's no <laughs> proof of anything they say. And they always use like um, user generated content. They call it USG. No, U U G G C. I said it wrong. And um, yeah, U G C. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, there are like these videos that you have no idea when, where, what's going on. They just say this is this, and you people actually believe it. Mostly the Iranians that are living in other countries, expat, as you said, they uh, use it as a source of information on what's going on in Iran, unfortunately. But the Iranians inside Iran, they, as Setar has said, they just use quoted or use it as a stamp of, for validating what they're opposing, you know, like see, even BBC says this. So I was thinking, yeah, when I was talking to Satara about starting a podcast, I was thinking we could just look at like BBC Persia and then just look at what they reported that day and then just talk about the opposite. I mean, talk about the actual, like how they lied. And it sounds like maybe that's what you can do in your job. Is you just watch yeah, the no. propaganda <laughs> and then because press TV we is try not, not to watch it out. <laughs> yeah, it's, your it's job painful. is almost easier than most news, especially in the U.S., where it's like they have a corporate line that they have to sell. They're not trying to produce news; they're trying to mold reality to fit this corporate line so mm -hmm. that they can kind of lie in a clever way to like make it pass. And so there's no like real journalism anymore, but in press TV or even any of these outlets like Russia Today, you can actually just say something factual and then, yeah, uh, yeah it, which is the way journalism used to be. And I don't used know. just to be. Exactly. And when you get into like uh, when you're writing something, uh, because I, as I said, I usually something happens in like, uh, I don't know. For example, um, I'll tell you about leaks in like the Nord Stream pipes. And you have, if you want to get a like, look on what's happening, I usually read this uh, from maybe six, seven sources. And after doing this for a while, like for everything you read from these six, seven sources, you understand, you realize that each one of them is exactly emphasizing on the point that is um they gain profit from you know like it's so yeah you, it's so like um undercover but you totally understand it after a while that each one of them like bbc says it in a different way cnn says it in a different way um reuters says it in a different way each one have their own point of view on the exact the exact same event based on what they profit from and it's a messed up business honestly but if you want to say the truth i don't know people start disliking you like we do with palestine you know press tv covers the events in palestine yemen we do that really good we work a lot on that because no one covers that and um i don't think uh like it's not used anywhere because people don't want to believe it you know it's something that they try to avoid unfortunately that's the world we live in that reality is the facts are really hard to swallow and those news outlets they have more readers watchers <laughs> yeah well also like it's it sounds like you you have to become like an instant expert on all these little on all these events in order to cover them and exactly yeah but but you don't actually have to come to an instant become an instant expert in order to manipulate the story you can just report it so uh yeah. so that that probably makes that's it exactly even what's more happening in iran <laughs> yeah but 
people just report it and no no one's an expert yeah wow that uh so speaking of yeah the situation in iran are are you uh how do you feel about the mandatory hijab and the uh, guidance patrol aka morality police what how do you personally feel about it if i could ask that so that, because i'm sure everyone will be trying to judge your to uh, what you say based on your because <laughs> that seems to be relevant well um honestly i um I, it's part of our law and um we had a referendum with people choosing the islam group public so um i really respect that and it's the will of everyone and i still think that if we have a referendum in iran uh, the majority will definitely still choose the islamic republic and as a law part of uh, our law uh, it should be respected but i i don't really think the way the right way would be the morality police and honestly they are very scarce these days like you barely see them around in the streets and stuff i i i see them maybe like once a month somewhere but um i think there there are better ways to um like uh make people follow this rule i i myself agree with fine people maybe and uh but still it could be objected to you know like people could start opposing this part which i think they are taking away the morality police what i heard from the what's going on in the parliament it's going to be abolished soon but um do you think yeah, that's a result of the protests no it's not exactly that is not the result the protests are not about the morality police or hijab anymore the protests are about um, the islamic republic and islam itself and um i think that's against the will of the majority of iranians because it's part of our identity and it's not going to go away and um it's going to be fruitless the mm -hmm. things that they're doing right. yeah it's just yeah, it's, all, it's already derailed mm -hmm. and but do you think cool. uh like this is the perception that you get that the majority of the people who protested well when we say the majority of the people who protested it doesn't mean that the majority of the Iranian population obviously yeah. we have talked about it and how uh, the number of people taking pedestrian has been uh, like totally exaggerated on mainstream media and social media exactly, but yeah. we're talking about those who did actually take uh, on to the streets especially the like maybe the first uh, week do you think the majority of them are demanding something against islam and like the collapse of the quote unquote regime or it's that they also have other demands how do you feel about um, yeah, the protesters I and their demands? feel like yeah i feel like the that's exactly what they're after like the collapse of what the so you called the regime <laughs> the Islamic Republic. Mm. that is the main um, goal behind the protests which are honestly there are there very little I have not encountered one of these protests in Tehran during these last the last two mm. weeks. Not even once I have not seen. I have like maybe in the street once a couple of nights ago, people were uh, like honking in the street. That, that's the most I have seen from these mm -hmm. protests. And um, I think that even uh, what happened in the university when you see the videos. They're really like they have been said what we um, uh, reported in press TV was maybe maximum uh, 30 to like 30,000 people in the whole of these two weeks. 
<laughs> all mm. over Iran, not just Tehran. And uh, when you compare it to our population, which is 80 million, it's really very small portion. But but if you look only in social media, like me myself, when I open Instagram, I feel like there's a revolution happening in Iran. And then I go out and say, oh, nothing is going on. Everything is the same. Maybe like the shops close a little earlier, just, you know, to be on the safe side. But Everything is the same. Well, our, our guest yesterday, uh, we talked to Hannah. She uh, said exactly the same thing. She said the protests weren't that significant and that they were mostly theatrical events for social media. That I'm paraphrasing yeah. her, but that's basically what she said. And like, I don't know if you know this, but Satara had death threats uh, after she said that uh, by people who know her. So they were like legitimate, scary death threats. People calling people who knew her oh. calling for her death in her own city, who knew knows where she lives and knows about her family, and uh, you know, explicitly calling to use knives and uh, cut her and calling her that a prostitute. Very scary. Saying, that it, saying that it's better to kill the prostitutes, or kill these prostitutes, referring to Satara, than it is to kill the mullahs. So like they were very dangerous. And what she said that really, really caught, uh, inspired these uh these people uh to yeah these terrorists really to to attack her was that the protests in esfahan were insignificant that's basically what she said so uh, you want to talk about that a little bit tell yeah so just like i had a yeah the person who called others to attack me personally knew me yeah that's why it was different i mean because when i appear on um i don't know like different channels i expect to get um those types of messages or get, get insulted but this time was like it, it was it was really unprecedented because they were like in numbers threatening messages and it was also because it started um by someone who knew me like they had this uh, snippet of uh, my interview published on Persian in the Independence, and I didn't. They didn't tag me on the, their Instagram post, so I didn't even know about that. And saying that this uh, like pro-regime analyst is uh, saying that the number of people who have been on the streets in Esfahan are like small, and she's like lying and everything. So one person who knew me in person, and. It's interesting, like she doesn't live in Iran anymore, but sh she knew me in person before she leaves. Um, sh so she tagged me, like, sh I don't like, I mean, because she knew me by face and everything. She found my account, she tagged me and then tagged, I don't know, like how many other people to just uh, like, this is her account and started attacking her. And all people like in your city, in my city, like calling them to come and attack me. And even until like today, I I have been receiving those kind of messages. Yeah, That's but I mean, shit. Well, yeah. I'm really sorry. Yeah, the thing that. is, but that's exactly what what what's made them really angry because he told the truth. And they yeah, and I wasn't even it. you know. Exactly. And, you know, even in on that interview, I criticized the government, I criticized the morality police and I criticized the, like the crackdown and everything, but they didn't want to listen. The only thing that was very significant and like there was no way I could challenge was that the number of people taking to the street to protest. And I called the protest legitimate, by the way, because that's what I believe. And still, they they were very angry because I said that these protests are smaller than the ones in 2019, for example. Yes, they are. They honestly, they're really- I mean, everyone knows, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Everyone except yeah. us and the outside. And that's what's important is because they want- Exactly, they want, that's yeah. exactly what they want. Yeah, they want, and the uh, people, I don't know, people don't even, uh, the, the mature ones, the ones that are, if, if you ever see anyone in the street protesting, I, 
recognize from the videos that they are really um, teenagers who've been incited mostly, like um, provoked to come out. And the more mature ones, like um, my generation, I, I know that those people that even are against the anti-government, like people that are really active, they just they're just posting stuff on social media. None of them have ever been to one protest. Like it's completely a virtual uh, media thing revolution going on. Like I don't know what they want, what kind of outcome they want from this. But well, the, the city is quiet. Yeah, nothing is going on. The two the two theories that I've heard that make the most sense are is one that this may be a play to further like the John Bolton quote unquote assassination plot and the Salman Rushdie quote unquote attack. We never heard about that guy anymore. Mm -hmm. So I, who knows what happened there? That was a really weird story. But like uh, other than those two, which happened right after each other because they wanted to prevent JCPOA talks. This may also be exactly. another tool in that, like the final, the final blow to furthering those talks and, and lessening sanctions. But the other the, is in also this also may be a way of following a like Gene Sharp style regime change policy, where now they're going to try and morph these these protests into like random terrorist attacks, and then those terrorist attacks still have the kind of like flavor of morality because they're like oh they're terrorist attacks for the sake of women and so now there can be this like western acceptance of these terrorist attacks within iran that are now going to target people in iran who are you know wearing a job or whatever have long beards or like there could be these kind of random sporadic attacks which there seem to be that's kind of developing i don't know if that hopefully that goes away it's not actually what they're doing but it would fall in line with previous strategies on how to destabilize countries. So if they have enough of these MEK guys running around in Iran, um, that that might be an outcome. I hope that isn't, but. It's actually, it, I'm sorry, it's actually uh, exactly what's happening. If you uh, look in um, Sistan Baluchistan, it's one of our um, provinces in the South near Pakistan. And in Kurdistan, we're having um, a lot of uh, activities, terrorist activities there. And um, our forces, our, our country forces are actually fighting there right now, maybe. But I think we should, um, Iran could work a lot better on its media. Unfortunately, we, we're not that um, uh, well-trained as maybe the years of experience with BBC and uh, the Western propaganda media against um, the governments that it's not okay with, but, but we should work a lot harder. We can do much more, but we're not doing enough. Well, I think like yeah, some that's of the... one thing. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, that, that's one thing that I wanted to say that um, one of the reasons why a lot of Iranians, uh, even though they might not be the majority yet, uh, there are a lot of Iranians who trust, for example, BBC Persian, because there is a like a vacuum of information and news and we're not we're not fast enough. We're not professional enough. Yeah, and exactly. unfortunately, there are there were cases where people uh were like to be honest they were lied to and it's very very difficult to rebuild that trust like uh um, exactly yeah. so it's it's very difficult and i i totally understand why people would want to refer to a different source but what i don't understand is that okay let's let's think that the iranian government does not care about its citizens and like totally disregards public opinion or uh, national interest or people's interest, but there is no way I could believe that uh, like a British uh, outlet uh, or a U.S. outlet would care about uh, not only Iranian citizens but the, about the truth. 
So that's why, like, there are, and, and I think by now there are more Iranians who are understanding that because I hear from people who are, who totally oppose uh, the establishment and some of them who have taken part in the protests that they understand that if the government, if the Iranian government is not on their side, the British and the US government are not on their sides at all. So there's also that type of people and mentality among, uh, you know, the public, yeah, there, which there are all kinds of gives me some hope. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's not a monolithic society. We have all of, of those course, types yeah. of, we have diversity. Could, could you elaborate some on the lies that cause people to mistrust that you mentioned, like the history? You were saying that, like, mm-hmm. yeah, you no, were saying that there. Is there anything you want to? It's, I think um, there is like, we, we, we have a lag in giving people information, you know, we're not fast enough, we're not professional enough. And um, until, I think that like, the Iranian government is trying to gather the right words and how to um, give people the information, the right information, gain enough, gather enough proof, evidence, and when it comes out, it's the, the public opinion has already been built, you know, to um, restore that again is really hard. It's like yeah. really hard. And uh, people yeah. already have this thing, this belief stored in their mind and they now uh, swear by it. And then you, you come out with the right evidence that, uh, no, it was not that. It's a complete lie, it's disinformation, but they don't believe it anymore because they've already built that in their minds. And, and this is, it just makes it really hard. And we're not fast enough. We're not, as I said, professional enough. And that, that is one of the things that I always tell, tell my superiors in Press TV that we really need to work harder. But, you know, we don't have enough people, we don't have enough budget. And it's, very difficult and the right infrastructure maybe but but i I think you're still yeah sorry to interrupt you but um like the british government taking uh at some point taking press tv off from its satellite and the canadian government sanctioning press tv uh, these things tell me that you're doing (laughs) yeah exactly you're doing something right, and that's why they're so angry at. But you ask, uh, Chris, you ask about uh, where people have been lied. I mean, there there are a few examples uh, over the past, I would say, like 10 to 15 years. But uh, the most significant or the most recent one that I personally remember and I was really shocked was uh, the case of the downing of the um, like the airplane. It mm. like because they initially said that it was like you know a technical problem and then um, like I remember when people told me that uh, it was down like a missile I was like I found that like so ridiculous and then two days later we were told that yes that's the case I mean in finally they came and said that that, that was the case and tried to explain. But because they were not saying it for a few days, then it became very, very difficult yeah. to again uh, other I, narratives. I want to add something that uh, the the like our military uh, didn't say that it was a technical mistake. It was the um, I think Iranian airspace. They just they were quiet about it. They were still processing what happened. Again, as I said, it was too late. We have a yeah. lag in giving information. Yeah, that's true. And uh, yeah, because they never denied it, they never said that it wasn't us. But when they said it, it was too late. Yeah. And, but what would uh, the harm have been to just blame Israel? That's what I would be like. <laughs> if I was like the guy in charge of that one, I'd have been like, "Yeah, it's obviously Israel." That's end of story. Yeah, like, you're I mean, definitely I, American. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. The first person who announced it, uh, like, publicly and on media was Trump. So maybe that's why (laughs) it was difficult to say it was Israel. Maybe. Or maybe easier. 
<laughs> we were no, I don't know what the story was, but it seems logical that Israel had a backdoor to those that missile uh, that missile defense system. So, like, I mean, mm-hmm. it's all supposition. There's no way to prove it, but like, it doesn't seem outlandish to think that there was uh, some yeah. that it was just a way yeah. of doing it behind the door. Like, the reason there was a delay could have been that the Iranian government was like, hey, what just happened? Like, he says he didn't push the button. Nobody pushed the button. Like, what happened? And then they had to <laughs> step back and realize, oh, this is this is a back signal from Israel telling us, look, we even got control of your missile defenses. I mean, obviously, Iran couldn't say that publicly because that makes them look very weak. And so, and so they yeah, it, but there were could have been more stuff. I'm saying like that it could have been a whole complicated thing where it wasn't just a guy pushing a button. There could have been a whole story of other countries' involvement as well. So actually, maybe. I've uh, heard that the um, the airplane, the pilot, I don't know, uh, they uh, were not in the right ra- radar. Like um, they hadn't um, announced their flight, I don't know, something, they, they had this real big technical problem that was really strange. And we were in, uh, I don't know if you remember, it was exactly after um, the terrorist attack on Qasem Soleimani. Yeah. And we were really high on tensions and everyone was um, thinking. Yeah, it was, and it was war, after. You, yeah. Yeah. It was right after Iran attacked the U.S. military base in Iraq, too. So they were on high alerts. Yeah. Yeah. The Al-Assad base. It was really it was a really bad time. And well, um, again, it was a mistake to um, delay the information, giving people the information. But I I can empathize with them like. Um, I understand what a huge mistake they made, but for a lot of people, that was very heavy. Yeah. To take yeah. Was super heavy. Like. So it's, yeah. Yeah. So it's understandable. As and being. Said, but. Yeah. yeah, I have friends who had families on that airplane, and I understand that they would never, ever gain the trust. And I mean. I don't think life would ever go back to normal for them because that's a, uh, I mean, even thinking about it is just, just, that's really heavy. I could have imagined if, uh, like, if I had family on that plane and that something like that happened, I probably would never be able to, uh, like, forgive the government or, I mean, or just get myself to want to listen a different story about what exactly happened. Because um, it's true that uh, like some government organizations did not make any comments and they were waiting for uh, like analyzing the situation. But there were also like pilots who were interviewed by some news agency and they were insisting that this was like technically impossible that a missile attacked like hit uh, an airplane. So, you know, it's like people felt yeah. they were emotionally abused and they're, yeah. Um, and right. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, that's, that's the thing. I mean, uh, we're, we're a nation who is like under sanctions and threats. And, you know, we had the revolution, we had eight year war. And so it's, I mean, we're, I, I understand that we're all, always under threats and, you know, some threats of some sort. And we're really doing like and we have we're also under a very heavy uh, propaganda campaign and war. Uh, and it's it's it makes everything very, very difficult. Uh, but I think like Iran has the ability to improve on um like feeling that vacuum and like showing more transparency and more respect for the public opinion. And I think we have improved, honestly, like um, I, I can see in the recent example of the, like the protests yeah, that are happening. The state, I think we're yeah, like the, you see the state TV. Exactly. Yeah, we see improvement. And that's why some of us yeah. don't want to like start attacking the whole thing because we're seeing reforms and improvement. And we also think about what we want to gain. We're not here just to use a, like a strong rhetoric against establishment to say, uh, 
to make an announcement. We're we're living in this uh, country and we want to see improvements. We want to see something changing for better. Well, that, now you know what it feels. I mean, as I, I can empathize with it because as an American living through 9-11 and then the same feeling of complete, uh, yeah, kind of like disillusionment with the government uh, on that one. I can I can see where it's very hard to regain trust in people who understand that dis- disillusionment because it's a it's an uphill battle. But uh, yeah, I guess we could get back uh, on on track because as a Western man, I'm just obsessed with hijabs. No, that is basically <laughs> what we like. It's funny because I. <laughs> I met Satara first when I was in Iran because she, or as part of when I met her, she was giving a, I was there with a delegation with Code Pink, which is this women's rights peace organization, ostensibly. And they, uh, <laughs> they, the leader uh, was asking, like, implied that women in Iran don't want to wear the hijab. Like, they're, what, 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 how did she ask that question? It was like, um, I don't remember. But yeah, she, uh, I think she mentioned a few human rights issues that need to be that that need to imp- need be to improved be. in Iran. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Like the way some of I mean, I'm not talking about her in particular, but the way some of my friends from the West uh, talk about it makes it like feel like they're just talking from a self-righteous point and it makes us like uh, I feel I personally feel disrespected because um, I don't have to have the same values as you to be considered a human or equal. I might work very hard for women's rights in, in Iran, but it doesn't necessarily include hijab. And I remember like I had this conversation with her, like she was giving and I asked to respond because that, that was really difficult for me not to, uh, you know, give an answer. And the thing that I made was, I think that has nothing to do with the forces, the, with anyone outside Iran. An Iranian woman know how to pursue it. And there are legal, uh, you know, bodies, for example, the parliament or other, um, like, uh, bodies where women can pursue those kinds of changes. And she asked me, so if there are women in Iran who don't want to wear the hijab, and don't want it to be mandatory, would you support them? And I said, yeah, absolutely. Like, if they if they pursue the legal, um, you know, uh, channels, or even protests. I mean, I would absolutely uh, support the protests wh- who wanted to make a clear demand. Uh, like, one, we, we want to talk about a obligatory hijab, or uh, we want that to change. But the thing with the, these protests is that, like, day two, they don't know what they're asking about, like some of these protests. It's already about something very, very different from what they initially started about. So, yeah, that's what I remember. So basically, yeah, it's a, now we're back. We're talking about hijabs again because the West is honestly, like the West has this perception of Iranian society, Iranian men like dominating and being obsessed with hijabs and like forcing women. But if there's any group of people in the world that's obsessed with hijabs it is the west it's the western regime change imperialists and duke or like uh i don't know the the french government they did that they outlawed hijabs and then a couple years later they Mm -hmm. mandated everyone cover their mouth their their face with covid masks so Mm -hmm. at least the absurdity of the west is just incredible and i would say like the snap judgment propaganda that we were talking about where they force you to pick a side came very clear yeah. in an, in a situation with code pink where i was telling them about satara's death threats because i thought a woman's rights organization would be very interested to know a, a woman uh researcher phd in iran uh, was commenting on a news program about her death threats and they might want to stick up for her but because it fell on the other side of that snap judgment that they wanted you to make they want you to support the protests and because it fell on that other side they didn't care about her they didn't even talk about they immediately the first guy steven zunas he's supposed to be this academic whatever in california his first response was remove me from your list because he he realized that satara was not supporting the protests and so he didn't even want to care about her life at all and then 
Did anyone this, did yeah. anyone ask you what I said that I received no. death threat? Nobody cared about that. No. And the one person said, I don't even think we should should talk about murder, is what they said. I don't even think we should be discussing murder. Like, it's not about murder, it's about women's rights. I don't think that's what happens. But but I wanted to ask you, Farzana, like, along these lines, it really inspired me to try and understand this. It's like, so Steven Zunas, he's obviously, and he's either just not great at his... uh, at his chosen profession, or he is has a an ulterior motive because he he kept pushing that oh oh like we're for hum- we're for women's rights we're not for uh, we're not for regime change and like I don't understand how that is possible in this like perspective to be because as we see it's all a show for the outside to promote regime change. So how would you try and explain this to activists in the U.S. who are being coerced by goofball, quote-unquote, academics like this character who's trying to say that, oh, we have to stand by the brave women of Iran and, like, uh, it's not about regime change, even though he's on every regime change side of every conflict in the last, I don't know, 20 years. But how, how could you explain this to people, like from your perspective about supporting women's rights, like, and not regime change? Well, um, the protests, if you take a look at them, they're not about women's rights at all. And um, just like Setter has experienced it, I've uh, seen uh, a lot of hijabi women get uh, threatened and, People are starting to show hate towards them. And uh, if it's about women's rights, then aren't we all the same? Like, shouldn't you be uh, caring about my rights, my friend's right to his hijab too? And is it just for you guys who don't want hijab? But um, it's not about that anymore. It's about uh, representation, you know? Like, the women who have hijab are a representation of the government so they are uh, they don't have any more rights you know it's uh, as you said it depends on which side you're on as you said it but in um i think that um if the protests were right if um they were um organized legally and they have passed like gone through the processes and the procedures and not these sporadic violent protests suddenly taking place in like uh, a different street every week um, they would be listened to they're not like that they are um uh, violent the slogans that are shouted are different they're not about women anymore if you listen closely and carefully and look and it's completely changed its course and um, there is hijab is part of the government that they want to change you know they're using that as a tool it's not the only thing they're looking for it's um yeah it's not about that anymore and uh, women's right, other women's, the Islamic, the hijabis are being crushed because why? Uh, you're looking after other women's right. It doesn't. It just doesn't make sense anymore. Uh, there's a video of a girl being harassed because of having a chador, like on in the internet. Isn't that? Isn't she a woman too? So um, there's a paradox here. If you, as I said, look closely. And it's not about women's rights at all. It's about government and regime change. It's always been about that. And and if it was supposed to be democracy, I mean, right, the, America brought democracy to Iraq, right? That's what we did. And, uh, like, if that, if it's America's supposed to be this, like, I mean, the majority of people in Iran want to wear a hijab who cares? Like, yeah. let them pass that law. Like, I don't understand why people in the West, these like liberal 
do-gooders feel like they I gotta get their nose into everything I don't understand it so it's not in my feeling I feel like I want to stand up when there's legitimate rights problems but covering your head with a cloth doesn't seem to be like a big like doesn't seem to be that horrific like I've been around the world yeah, I've seen we, terrible actually, things yeah when I talk to my um people in the same profession in uh, from other countries they are amazed at the equal rights we have in like working and um every like in professions in education and uh it's not about honestly it's not about how we dress it's about how uh, we act and um we have the same wages we don't have that, that high of a rate of sexual harassment and work. And um, when I was explaining this to her, we have healthy work environments. Like, honestly, you're just doing your job. You don't have to please anyone because you're a woman. And uh, I was explaining these things to her about, uh, like, my experience, my own experience, personal experience, that I have never been, honestly, harassed uh, in my, any workplace because I have had many uh, I have had a lot of freelance doing but never I've always been respected and she was like she told me never she you haven't ever been like pushed around by guys I don't know weren't asked to do anything like your wages the the most important thing <laughs> is we have equal pay but no just leave these aside but stick to the hijab you know it doesn't make sense uh completely there's an upper motive about it but yeah you know it we know it everyone knows it but if, what would you tell to it. code pink so, as a peace organization who's supposed to be for women i mean both of you you're women i'd love to hear your opinion what well, how would you like because they're promoting they sent out an email saying that there are millions of women protesting on the streets in Iran. And both Satara and I <laughs> saw this number and we were like, oh really, that's news. Uh, like what, so how would you explain to them the situation where like both women's rights should be respected, but also like this, like, I just don't, it's, it's frustrating me because I mean, they're who I came to Iran with. That's the group that if I wouldn't know either one of you if it wasn't for that group. But they just seem to have like fallen completely away from the from the mission of anti-war, anti-imperialism because someone dangled a little bit of like hijab over their head, and that's like they've just forgotten the whole plot. So I would just love to hear both of your opinion on like the idea of a women's run peace group anti-imperialist peace group supporting iran what would you like a mission of that organization to do in these current times like so i think uh, yeah like you said uh if it wasn't for code pink we wouldn't have met uh and i think like their their work on raising awareness about Iran and calling for sanctions to be lifted or, um, you know, like calling for no war on Iran. That's something that I really appreciate. And I think they have, they've been doing something uh, really good. But the other thing is not, not just a cold pink, but uh, a lot of uh, women's rights um, activist groups or just individuals who with good intentions say that they care about women's rights, they kind of want to impose their notion of women's rights and their notion of liberty in, uh, on Iranian women. And that's something that like, we don't really like. I was talking to a 19-year-old um, university student a few days ago, and she was part of the protest at the university. And the one thing that she told me, and she was obviously like angry at a lot of things that were happening. But the one thing that she told me was that I want the foreigners to just stay out of it. Don't make any comments. We know what to do. We know how to, uh, you know, uh, just um, 
forward our goal and our, our mission. So it has nothing to do with them and we want them to stay out of it because it makes our struggle even more difficult. And it's, you know, and, and people can't forget that, again, I'm not talking about the activists, but I mean, not all of the activists, but even some activists have been calling for, or so-called activists have been calling for more sanctions on Iran. Who does the sanctions, yeah. uh, like, who do the sanctions hurt exactly. first? It's just ordinary people, especially women. I mean, that's something that even the UN acknowledges. So, and then there, there are people who, in the name of human rights, are just uh, making things a lot more difficult for women. So, yeah, I mean, that's how I feel about it. It's very good. I mean, I understand that they want to help. But you can't, I mean, if you totally disregard death threats towards someone only because they did not look like what you would uh, describe as a free woman because, like, uh, observing... Uh, some sort of dress code, then I would start having doubts about uh, other things that you say you're doing for the sake of women. Yeah, I think it boils down to Americans just being very, like, inherently colonialist and not understanding because America is, like, sort of the dominant power in the world. So people just don't, they internalize a colonialist narrative, even though they, like, view themselves as, like, a liberal do-gooder, like, oh, I want to help everyone. And peace on earth and yeah whatever and they like which is cool like i think inherently that is probably coming from a place of love and compassion but it's so manipulated by the media mm-hmm. and by this whole like colonialist mindset that nobody internally thinks about that like they exactly, think that the yeah. idea like the liberal ideal western liberal ideal human or woman is is like mm-hmm. a a, a type person it's like the ideal person for everyone in the world to achieve it doesn't matter yeah, what culture yeah. you're from yeah so go ahead yeah. for you could comment on what yeah, how you would critique it yeah exactly i mean uh, there are so many double standards uh, have you seen the women killed in india because of wearing a hijab has anyone talked about that or i don't know france uh, laws on anti-job laws that were um, ratified in the parliament recently that uh, you can't wear a hijab in any um, public uh, governmental place like universities even and uh, I remember my friend had like really uh, traumatic experiences during her university years in Paris Uh, she was like forced to take off her her hijab in the middle of an exam she said she couldn't take an exam and you know like no one talks about these things nothing and um like the the events the recent events in india and on the hijabi woman how they were um some of them were killed some of them were banned from their jobs and we're talking about like a country with uh, a very big population of muslims and uh, this is these are all the largest actually the largest yeah largest population yeah, of exactly. muslims in the world it's in india yeah yeah and there's complete silence on these things and then there's iran which i think mm, the majority of women have uh, an islamic uh, as part of their identity and and if you even take off the hijab laws i'm sure that many would still the majority again i think will have a job and um, yeah that's yeah, yeah, yeah sorry, it's, it's, that's what democracy is about exactly don't we believe in democracy isn't that what everyone promotes uh you have to respect the will of the majority isn't that what it is but no so exactly it's the way you said chris it's about the ideal that's been uh, carved in people's mind, which is a complete Western ideal, American, US made ideal. And um, everyone just follows, and whoever is against it is against the um, basic rights of women and humans. And it just, it's a messed up world right now. <laughs> and just to clarify, if people are listening, you're like, oh, well, why wouldn't your friend? be comfortable just taking off her her head covering it's just like taking off a hat or whatever but it's really culturally that just would show like the cultural difference because 
removing a hijab for someone who wears that for their entire life is it's very similar to just stripping naked or or wearing a bikini if you're not comfortable yeah. like you just coming in to take your exam in your in your underwear it's very similar the level of shame for someone or or feeling of nakedness yeah. if that is what you that's part of your your dress code for that you're comfortable with so like uh yeah it is it is really a human rights issue in in france to tell people that they're not allowed to to dress how they feel comfortable and yeah and they have a you have they have a police for the, the dress code on the beaches like you can't wear too like too much clothes on the beaches and you will get the beach guards telling you oh, I've heard about that, that this is like too much that, that that's too much that you're wearing so you're not getting enough yeah. skin cancer yeah. you got to have more exactly skin <laughs> yes uh, yeah uh, i pity the french weird. they have a weird government yeah i know yeah well so, um i i don't know is there anything else we can talk about in this well i i did i did kind of want to get uh Farzana's opinion, because she opened it up talking about this uh, whole uh, pipeline situation. So I was wondering, could you just like shed some light onto oh, why Russia, yeah. why Russia would bomb its own pipeline? I was just curious if you know anything about Russia, why yeah, Russia would do know. that. The most recent investigations showed it was actually the NATO forces who did that. And wait, um, why would they do that? Because U.S. Uh, liquid gas prices went high the day after. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> what a coincidence, right? <laughs> because anything bad that happens in the world, you have to blame it on Putin. Or the mullahs. Don't forget the mullahs. They're up there. Or the mullahs, yeah. Well, the mullahs, <laughs> I mean, that's a different level of evilness that comes from the mullahs, right? <laughs> Is yeah. not only they're anti-imperialist, they're also Islamists. Entered the chat. <laughs> the well, Mullah's always been there. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. You, what did you say? They recently entered the chat. What? Did, yeah, yeah. Putin. Putin has recently oh, Putin. entered the chat of the evil. <laughs> oh, exactly. Yeah. yeah, they were the original. They're the OGs, and Putin just came in. OGs, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> ah, that's funny. <laughs> Well, like, uh, I mean, there's an incredible amount of propaganda on all these fronts. We were talking yesterday about crazy propaganda about the protests in Iran that's come on around Twitter. Have you seen any, like, ridiculousness? Like, we were talking about scenes from this Turkish drama that are being passed around as, like, a drama (laughs) series on TV that are being passed around as a... No, thank God. I'm not on Twitter. (laughs) Okay, that's good. I try not to be on Instagram, too, but sometimes I just check it out. For memes, mostly. Okay, but what about legitimate? Okay, I guess we... Yeah, that's basically the same level, blaming Putin for bombing his own pipeline, uh, and yet people believe it. So, it's almost not even worth talking about. Like I think I think you would really like to listen to the guest we had yesterday because she described the she described the situation like you were describing it as like a terrible world. She described it as a boring world, and I I think that's really like that that's mm-hmm. really a good way to describe it because it's all just predictable propaganda. Like no, everyone's conforming I to know. the same baloney and. Yeah, it's how do you think about that? We're not surprised by anything anymore. Yeah, like, why do you still believe this? I mean, really, just open your eyes and you, it's the amount of stupidity it takes to still fall for these stupid lies. But, yeah, it's it's apparently working. Yeah, that's the know. shocking thing. Oh, it's, yeah. It works on maybe the majority of them. I mean, I'm not sure if that's the majority because there are a lot of countries in the global south that we never hear from. Yeah, right. Yeah. Or a lot of people who don't even have social media or TV, and they don't know what's going on in the on the other side of the world. But it sounds like the propaganda is working for the majority of the people that we can hear from. Yeah. Unfortunately, celebrities have found a voice, and they give themselves the right to talk about everything going on in the world. And, that's another thing that I hate. 
Yeah. The celebrities have been really difficult in this situation, too, with the tweeting about the women of Iran, both in the West and in oh. Iran itself. That's yeah, unprecedented. The like, any you can name from... Yeah, sorry. Yeah, they're the worst. Because they don't know anything. <laughs> just like, I think even Justin Bieber said something, and I was like, really? You know, wow. it's yeah. funny Justin... after a while. <laughs> Roger Waters did. Yeah, that just, was the most painful one for me. Because Roger Waters, he saw through the Ukraine propaganda. He's He knows about Palestine. He knows that propaganda. But then in this one, somehow, either maybe he was coerced. The video looked a bit unbelievable. Roger, but like, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Roger Waters could see through the propaganda against Putin, but not against Mullahs and Ayatollahs. <laughs> yeah. Because he actually addresses Ayatollahs in that video. Exactly. Says, oh, you Ayatollah, don't tell women what to wear or something like that. Putin's are just oh. Putin's just posing. The OGs are back. It really yeah, works. Yeah, we're back, yeah. baby. <laughs> uh, it was really sad though, because Roger Waters, he a lot of people turned to him for like uh, understanding the situation, and so. Yeah, I hope people understand it more critically. And the gray zone has done a little bit of reporting on it, but like, it's just few alternative outlets that have done anything significant. Gray zone interviewed interviewed Satara. Yeah. Max did, so that was good. But uh, wow, yeah, it's and just... I saw a lot of they're being attacked for be for interviewing a regime stooge. Yeah, but <sighs> yeah. I mean, both of you, if you're supposedly regime stooges, you should be getting, like, a salary that you're not, they don't, you're not know, looking right? to upgrade Yeah, from, I mean, right? I, I wish <laughs> like, this regime had at least paid me something, and I had I a know. mansion, and then, that something. doesn't happen. Like, you're not I even getting where anything. where the money goes. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> we'll, we'll have to have you back, back again when there's uh, more crazy news stories that we could talk about, because you have a good uh, basis for commenting on them. So we really appreciate it. And uh, you can uh, you can um, close this out if you want, Satara. Okay. Yeah, so thank you, Farzana, for giving us your time. I know that you were very tired and it was really great talking to you. And yeah, thanks everyone pleasure. for... Thank you, thank you. And thanks everyone for watching another episode uh, of Twice Told Tales. Don't forget to subscribe to our channel.